morning. It's good to be back with you again. Turning to the seventh chapter of Isaiah. I'm going to draw on most of the chapter, but only read from verse, um, yes, from verse 9. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. such an important verse. May I read it again? If you, if we do not stand firm in our faith, we will not stand at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Here now your house, you house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of human beings? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be led waste. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. I'd love you to read the whole chapter before you go to bed tonight because uh, it, it really is a wonderful story. Ahaz was king of Judah um, when the message that we are addressing, uh, when this whole story that we were talking about this morning first came from God. Ahaz, the grandson of Uzziah. You'll remember Uzziah. Uh, he, he really is somehow central in our thinking when we look at the great prophets of the Old Testament. He gets a good reference from God, Uzziah does, um, he, he, but he got too big for his boots. Uh, there, there came a point in his life when he decided that he was uh, sufficiently important to usurp the role of the, the Levites and burn incense in the temple. And so he himself, ignoring the horrified protests of the priests, he went ahead and did just that. And he was struck with leprosy, which uh, troubled him for the rest of his life. He could never again enter the temple because of his condition. God's laws are not to be tampered with. However, Isaiah was born during the reign of Uzziah. You'll recall the reference in the king that your king the year the king Uzziah was uh, died. Uh, the Lord called him. His name, another name for Uzziah, by the way, if you get a bit confused, is Azariah in the Old Testament. But Isaiah was called and he was commissioned to the prophetic office when in that year that King Uzziah died. And then he prophesied during the reign of. Uh, Jotham and Ahaz and also Hezekiah. 
Tradition has it that he was murdered. This is Isaiah I'm talking about, that he was murdered whenever the wicked son of Hezekiah, Manasseh, came to the, the throne, that when he inherited from his father, he put to death Isaiah and silenced the voice of God to the nation through that prophet. Ahaz then is king in Jerusalem when the events recorded in Isaiah 7 uh, took place. He's in his early 20s. He's weak. He's inexperienced. And he's under enormous pressure to join an alliance, an alliance between uh, Israel in the north, because remember the nation had split, Israel in the north, and Syria, or Aram. And this was a defense pact against the burgeoning fourth force up to the, the northeast there, Assyria. The Assyrian nation was, was pushing uh, westwards from Nineveh and had eyes on world domination. Does not history repeat itself? Such a, a, a focus on this part of the world again in our, in our generation. King Rezin of Syria and King Pekah of Israel were incensed that Ahaz of Judah, that they would not join their confederacy. And so they decided that they were going to march on Judah, conquer it, and divide the spoils. Their enemy was on the way. And King Ahaz and the people of Judah were terrified. The Bible in this chapter tells us they were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. The Bible is full of drama great, exciting book of drama. God not only speaks through words, but also he directs affairs in such a way that we need to read the events that are surrounding our lives and in the world that we live in today uh, to, to hear and to see God at work, to see the finger of God in society at large. But once we have surrendered to Jesus, we can expect God to be directly involved in our affairs, directly involved. The Lord said to Isaiah, go out, you and your son Shear Jashub, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to the washerman's field. Such detail. God knew exactly where Ahaz was, and his precise state of mind at that time, and so it is with you. God knows all about you. He knows your thoughts. He knows the things that trouble you. It, it may be obvious somehow intellectually, but do we pause to come to terms with that? It can be a great comfort whenever we are doing what is right and our heart is warm towards God. It can be very uncomfortable. This knowledge that God knows all that's going on in our minds and in our lives when our state of mind is rebellious and faithless and we're not where we ought to be and we know it. But it's still true. God is looking on and he's looking in to the lives of every one of us. And there's something to say to us. I'm of no great significance, but this word that we're looking at is of great significance. God has something to say to you this morning. 
You're, 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 you're in a relationship with God if you've come to saving faith through Christ. And in a relationship, there is communication both ways. Are we listening? He may speak through his word. He, he, he may speak through well-chosen book, a, a persistent voice of conscience, forceful circumstances, the observation of a friend. To Ahaz on this day of which we read, God spoke through words given to Isaiah the prophet and through the presence of the little boy by his side. Remember God's instructions to Isaiah was, go out you and your son to meet Ahaz. Why this boy? He's still under 10 years of age. Was his name Sheer Jashub, a subtle warning to Ahaz? Because it means a remnant shall return. Was the presence of this calm, unfrightened child beside his father, his godly father, a rebuke to the terrified king of Israel, faithless Ahaz? We cannot be sure, but we do know this. God's message to Ahaz involved the child. It involved the child. And a critical, unbelieving world is, is reading us and our children. What values are we passing on to them? I spoke at a high school not long ago and apologized. Apologized for what my generation has passed on by way of authentic Christianity. They see us, our children do, when the guards are down. They, they see us when it's real. They observe our priorities. They see what we watch on TV. They, they, they see how we react to success and failure. It's forming them. They see our disappointments. They see how we react to sickness and bereavement. They see how we handle disagreements. And these things shape the minds and the attitudes, conditions their reaction in turn. It's humbling and sometimes alarming when we see ourselves reflected in our children. With his son at his side, Isaiah was told to say to Ahaz, be careful, be calm, don't be afraid. And God does not ask his children to, to be calm and fearless without good cause. He's not advocating some sort of escapism where we try to forget the situation and somehow fill our minds with distracting thoughts and activities. That doesn't work. Nor is it the way our God works. We who know Christ can look every situation full in the face. Full in the face. On our own, our circumstances at times may, may be enough to crush us. And our fears may be well founded on our own. But child of God, you're not on your own. Our God is with us. 
We're not on our own, and neither was Isaiah or Judah. God wanted them, and he wants us to reflect on our circumstances in the light of his presence and his power and his love. God was able to assure Ahaz that his current fears regarding Israel and Syria were ill-founded. He was able to assure him of that. In fact, he even is so specific. He says, is this not what the sovereign Lord says? It will not take place. It's not going to happen. And in fact, those two nations God refers to as two stubs of burning embers in a fire. Trivial. How we need to see our problems in the light of our God. And it is great when we, when we get that assurance from God. And I believe God is saying that to some this morning. The thing that you fear, it's not going to happen. But I'll tell you this. If our peace and our calmness and our fearlessness and our standing firm in our faith is based upon God always protecting us from the difficult situation then we're on very dangerous ground. To some this morning and to Ahaz, he was saying, it's not going to happen. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it is. And real lasting peace is only found in recognizing that when our lives are handed over to God in the Lord Jesus Christ, there are no accidents, there are no circumstances over which our God has lost control, no situation in which he says, you're on your own. Never. Come follow me. Our God doesn't send us, he takes us. Come follow me, walk with me. I never called you to live on your own or walk this path on your own. We'll do this together. This is the language of scripture. I will be with you on the good days and on the bad days. I feel your joy. I also feel your pain. I understand your doubts. Our hearts are bonded. Trust me, says God. If we do not stand firm in our faith, we'll not stand at all. Ahaz was abysmally weak. His commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ was to God, I know that Jesus hadn't come yet, but to God, his, his commitment to him was, it, it, his faith barely had a pulse. He's a pathetic figure. But God was prepared to put life into this man and into the nation. And when God calls us to a course of action and our hearts are set on obedience, he's always prepared to come alongside and strengthen our resolve. Ahaz was dithering and God said to him again the Lord spoke to Ahaz ask the Lord your God for a sign whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights this is what brought me to this chapter frequently in our marriage and Betty has taken the lead on this issue Frequently in our marriage, when we, we want to do what's right, but we're not quite sure, Betty will say, let's put a fleece out. And, and it has made me want to search the scripture and, and really seek to determine the legitimacy of this particular way. 
this idea of asking God for a sign. There must be situations in which asking God for a sign is wrong. In Matthew 12, 29 or 39, Jesus says, A wicked and adulterous generation seeks for a miraculous sign. So that causes you to think carefully here. Why are there times when God approves of the request for a sign and other times when he positively rebukes a generation for, for doing so, when he regards the request with disdain. Moses, Aaron, Gideon, Samson, David, and many others were given wonderful signs from God in the conduct of their ministry and their walk with him. And yet others are told it would be a sign of wickedness. When is it reasonable to ask for a sign? Two reasons I want to give you that I believe are strongly supported by Scripture. When you are committed to obeying, God is not into negotiation. When you're committed to obeying the Lord and there is genuine uncertainty as to how am I to go in this major crossroad? There's no sense in requesting a sign from the Lord if we're just curious to know what God's preference is. And then we'll think about it. Unless you're set on obedience, don't bother with this asking for a sign or putting a fleece up. Jesus condemned the empty curiosity of his generation when here on earth with which he shared his time. They, they, they liked the miracles. They were fascinated by the healings. They, 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 they thought signs and wonders made good copy. They drew crowds feeding 5,000 people on a wee boy's lunch. That, that, that Remarkable things to see. But in the absence of any real commitment to obedience and discipleship, the interest of that generation was shallow and offensive to God, and Jesus condemned it. Also, I suggest that it is only reasonable to ask for a sign from God when the issue has real significance. When this is important. God has given us his word and he has given us our, 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 our consciences and the counsel of good friends and the inner witness of the spirit. All of these things are there. And they are powerful and often conclusive indicators as to what is the right thing to do. Only seek for a sign from God when the thing is important and these tools are inadequate. So there is biblical precedent for seeking a sign from God to put out a fleece. If we're committed to obedience and there is genuine uncertainty and a major crossroads is facing us. There's also biblical precedent to seek for a sign from God when you may be fully convinced this is what I ought to do, but there are others with whom your life is intertwined and they need convincing. The word and the spirit and circumstances may all have stacked up in such a way that you are fully convinced. This is what I ought to do. 
but your life is so entwined with someone else, some body of friends, a church, and they lack the conviction that you have and they're involved in your decision. The plagues on Egypt were not designed to convince Moses or Aaron. They knew that God was going to set his people free. The signs were for Egypt. The signs were for Pharaoh. Perhaps even for a doubting people of Israel. What constitutes a sign anyway? We tend to think of something miraculous, something spectacular, something amazing like the sun standing still for a day in Joshua's time. Or Gideon's fleece. You remember the dew on the ground, not on the fleece, and then will you repeat it or will you reverse it, says Gideon. Amazing. The fire from heaven at Mount Carmel at Elijah's prayer, the pillar of cloud by day and the fire by night. What amazing signs these are. The voice from heaven at the baptism of Jesus. The tongues of fire at that first Christian Pentecost. But not all signs from God are like that. A baby in a manger. I mean, strange but not a miraculous sign for the shepherds. Something very simple. Following a man carrying a water jar. Okay, men didn't normally carry water jars, but not comparable to the sun standing still. Simple things. In 1 Samuel 10, Saul was promised a threefold sign. Two men near Rachel's tomb will talk about donkeys. It's part of the sign. Near the great tree of Tabor, three men will offer you two loaves. Simple matter. At Gibeah, you will meet prophets making music and prophesying. The only odd thing here was that Saul would prophesy too. Ordinary things. Sometimes God may use very ordinary things in order to demonstrate to us his control of detail and confirm his involvement in our affairs. Signs. Confirming indicators that God is at work. They may have a place in our lives if we're committed to obedience. If there is genuine uncertainty, I want to go God's way. I really do. If he makes it clear, I'll do it, whatever. Perhaps others need convincing. And if other obvious indicators have not been ignored. I'm suggesting then it's legitimate to ask for a sign. In the case of Ahaz, God invited him to ask for a sign and God threw the door wide open for Ahaz to be as adventurous as he wished. Whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights, didn't have to be something mundane as some of the signs I've referred to were. Because the cynic might dismiss such things as mere coincidence. On earth, in the seas, in the sky above, out in space, an earthquake, a volcanic eruption, a thunderbolt, an eclipse of the sun, the convergence of the planet, you can ask for anything, Ahab. Open book. 
the king would not choose. He would not choose. He had his own plans, you see. He had his own plans. A sign from Jehovah could be an embarrassment. He would be under pressure to go God's way. And Ahaz had plans of his own underway. He didn't want a sign. And he didn't want one imposed upon him. He even quoted the scriptures. I not ask for a sign. I not put the Lord God to the test. That's exactly what he was doing. The very thing he was doing. He'd already sent a messenger to the king of Assyria. He was already worshipping other gods. He had already bypassed the, the god of his fathers. Ahaz was set on doing things his way. A sign from God would be an embarrassment. I wonder, can we identify with that? I wonder, can we identify with that? There are things in our lives that we have decided we want there. Holding on to them. A course of action that you've embarked upon, that I've embarked upon, perhaps a relationship that we're pursuing. We've never consulted God about it. But we're going that way. We've never asked for his input. We suspect maybe it would be embarrassing. We've decided. We don't want to know. No signs, please, God. Oh, let's challenge ourselves this morning. As for God, his way is perfect. He made you. He knows what's best for you. Going your own way. Going my own way. It's folly. And sometimes God decides to indicate his mind on things without our asking. And is he doing that in your life? In my life? Are there things that God is saying and we're not listening? Sometimes things that are staring us in the face... Ahaz and Judah were looking the other way. God was out of the frame. They didn't want to know. But God gave them his sign anyway. And it is two parts. It is two parts, this sign, and I close with it. One part was looking to the future. And brought in the great promise of the Messiah. And remember, this is a king of Judah. In this lineage was to come this Messiah. A sign to the nation and a sign to the world at large, pointing to that great event which we'll celebrate four months from now. A virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. The coming of the lion of the tribe of Judah, Ahaz. You realize the lineage that you're in. We may wonder what immediate impact the prophecy for the future would have on Ahaz. Well, he was moving out of the line of promise. He was turning his back on the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And here the coming Messiah and all the promises of blessing would culminate. And the king of Judah was turning his back on the God who would deliver these things. 
through the very tribe that he led. What a disgrace. But then Isaiah said something with immediate impact. As I say, the sign had a far-reaching impact, but there was something. You remember God had said, bring the child with you. Bring your little son. And on this occasion, verse 16 refers to the child. Before this boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be led waste, and the Lord will bring on you and your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. Ahaz got a sign. Whether he wanted it or not, he got a sign, but it was too late. He had made his choice. And I believe God speaks into our lives with clear signs, asked for or not. We often ignore them and explain, or explain them away to our peril. It's dangerous. Let's pray for greater personal spiritual acuity that we might discern the finger of God in our lives and in our nation, in our world affairs. Discern the finger of God. Know when it's right to put out a fleece. Know when it's right to just see the sign of God in affairs. Let's pray also that we might recognize and share with others as part of our witness. And I think this is so important today. The great universal signs that God has, has given to our world to announce the soon return of his son. Are we using the newspaper and world events in the light of Scripture to witness to our great God? Are we doing that? We ignore at our peril the answer that Jesus gave to the disciples as they were coming out of the temple. And he spoke, you remember, of the destruction of that temple and the signs of the end and they said, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And don't let cynicism or the passing of 2,000 years dull our vision. The signs are there and the evidence is piling up. <clears throat> the birth, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, the sign of Jonah. You remember? Sign. Wonderful events, the restoration of Israel, the shrinking world and the vast increase of knowledge. The Bible talks about these things. I'm not heavily into prophecy. I don't claim a great intimate knowledge of these things, but they're staring us in the face. Universal unrest, persistent famines, syncretism and the false prophecy on a massive scale, the legalizing and the normalizing of abominable practices. A communication explosion that makes it possible now for what Jesus said in Isaiah 24. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations and then the end will come. Possible for the first time in our generation. Worldwide contempt for Israel and her Messiah. Never more evident, yet an indicator. All signs from God to a dying world in its final days, are we listening? Personally, 
nationally, internationally, are we looking for the finger of God? Only a fool ignores the signs of Jehovah. Father, take these stumbling, inadequate words. Put them through the filter of your approval. Remove anything that's the mere ramblings of a man, but retain that which pleases you and make us different and more effective in this generation, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.